Hey there, and welcome to We've Been Had, a song-by-song walk through the songs of Uncle Tupelo. I'm Keith Philly. And I'm Chad Cook. And uh, today we continue with the backstretch of Still Feel Gone. We're, we're not done yet, but we're getting there. Songs covered today are True to Life, Cold Shoulder, and Discarded. But uh, before we get into that, I, I feel like we should at least briefly talk about Tweedy's book. And Freaking then... Jeff Tweedy, man. He's... Why has he got to steal our thunder? You know, I mean, I was thinking about it, and, like, it would have been perfect if he had done this as we were finishing Anodyne so that we could, like, you know, close it out with, like, okay, let's go to the tape and yeah. see how we did. Yeah, it could be. Could, now Now I feel like it's going to color the rest of our analysis. You know. <laughs> but, I mean, it was, it was a, I thought it was a good book. I enjoyed it. I dug it. I think I, I came away uh, thinking more of him than than I had previously, uh, just because I, I feel like the, I think, is it the Wilco book? Yeah. Sort of. Caught. That was a tough one for me because it, it really kind of stripped down the business of Wilco, yeah. which is, is always hard. No, yeah, I, I definitely like came out. So I read the book, and then I, I don't know if you saw, he appeared on Marin's. Yeah, I listened to that okay, yesterday. good, yeah. Um, so like with the combo of those two things, like I feel like okay, I, you know, I I don't love all the recent musical choices, but like he seems like a pretty cool human being, and like yes for that, good for that. Did you enjoy how Marin tried to tried to sneak the J for R question past him at the very end of the interview? I thought you know I, I was impressed with how Marin handled that, and also like it's interesting to me because I've just kind of taken it as gospel that Tweedy was you know like. That was like a ground rule for interviews. And like he seemed willing to talk about as much as needed to be talked about. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, that that worked out all right. So the thing with the the episode of WTF that I got a giant kick out of was that the two of them, Marin and Tweedy, on at least two and I think three occasions, <laughs> recreated almost word for word, well, not word for word, but line for line conversations that we have had <laughs> in the course of the show. You know, there's the the Mike Watt is cool, but <laughs> the way he speaks is annoying conversation. There's the uh, tracking music down used to be different conversation. Yeah. You know, I don't know if this stuff is just inherent to this area or, or what. Well, I, th- I think it's, well, the Mike Watt thing is if you ever hear Mike Watt speak, you, <laughs> you will know what, what anyone is talking about because he has a very unique style of speech. Yeah. But... I mean, I think the tracking down of music thing is sort of is just sort of generational and maybe multi generational. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we were kind of, I guess, you know, we sort of came into the availability of music or around the year two thousand, where Napster started coming out, and you could basically get whatever you wanted. Yeah. I mean, it was more of a process than it is now. But yeah. I mean, you think about you think about those guys who are a little older than we are, and it, it's sort of what you happened upon. Absolutely. I mean, it's, I kind of, I kind of liken it to, you know, how one of my friends came home with a sugar album and it sort of totally altered my trajectory. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, yeah. I mean, I just, my go-to thing for the randomness of finding stuff back then is that I, you know, in rural Nebraska in the eighties and nineties, I knew who uh, Gary Gygax, the creator of Dungeons and Dragons, was before I knew who Lou Reed was, just because like that's what happened to get to me. I don't know. Impressive but, that you recall that. Oh yeah, 
<laughs> I remember I remember arguments where um, two friends of mine were fighting over some obscure point of Dungeons and Dragons, and one of them was going to write to Gary Gygax in Wisconsin, and Gary Gygax is going to write back, and he's going to say I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> so if this is this is way afield, but I, I feel like that's the quintessential Dungeons and Dragons experience is like just pissy discussions about very basic rule. It, that's that's definitely like the failure mode that it falls into easily. Uh, but uh, so getting back to the the books and stuff, it's well. So two things that hit me, like I between doing this show and doing the research for this show, and then reading that book and listening to that interview, I have not had this much of like Jeff Tweedy presence in my head since like 1999, and it's you know. I wouldn't want to stay this way for long, but it's kind of interesting to be back in that space. Yeah, so I mean, if you want to recreate that experience, you should be drinking a just a shit ton of Summit beer and and staying out really late, right? Yeah, uh, you know, see, it's it's around Christmas time, so I need to be seeing Wilco twice, right? This yeah. month, the um, all age show and the twenty one plus yeah. show. <laughs> Compare and contrast. Uh, you know, I also just it's a good reminder that like we. You know, when we're digging into these songs, and I feel like we're doing, you know, based on what we've heard now, I feel like we've done a pretty good job of picking up what he was laying out um, in the music, which, which is kind of a cool feeling. But, you know, like, it, I at least get kind of nitpicky and, you know, critical. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's what you got to do when you're engaging with, with art. But... I don't know. It's good to be reminded that there is like a human being on the other end of this who had thoughts and created them. And yeah, you know, it has you know, real, real experiences and real problems. And yeah, you know, he's just married. He's got a, two kids. He's like, you know, it's, it, it's weird because he, when I was probably early twenties, I kind of had put he and Jay Farrar up on these pedestals of yeah. being, uh, these kind of larger than life figures. And in reality, they were probably like just two 30 year old Midwestern dudes, right? Like, totally. I, I had, I mean, I, I had a really similar thought that, you know, around then, like early twenties, mid twenties, I consciously, I remember consciously thinking like Jeff Tweedy is a guy who has figured things out, you know, like, like I, I don't know. I guess I was getting that from, I think I was projecting that on to, late uncle Tupelo and early Wilco. Um, you know, I just, yeah, you know, this guy, he's really, he's, he's thought about it. He's, he's figured the world out. And, uh, you know, looking back, like, and, and reading this book, you know, like, okay, clearly he hadn't, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I think what it was, was like, this is a guy with actually kind of a lot of background similarities, um, who just had like a six or seven year head start on thinking about a lot of the same things that I think about. And, you know, like from behind the six or seven year head start, it looks like, oh, those are all the answers. And like, there probably aren't answers. Yeah, I, I think you're just going to, I find that I just come up with more questions, exactly. more, more than answers. Yeah. But uh, but I think that's, uh, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Well, I, I got a kick out of, uh, in in the episode of WTF when he's, he and Marin are talking about small talk, and uh, he's saying, you know, people come up and they're like, "Hey, how about those cubs?" And and, and you know, his natural response is like, "Yeah, all the cubs are going to die someday." <laughs> That's I don't know. That that, that is quite the. It's quite, <laughs> it's, 
I mean, maybe he was just really moved by that Flaming Lips song. Yeah, probably. Uh, I don't know if I, if I have to go. <laughs> like, I know there will be some kind of holiday thing at my office. Um, I'm, I'm going to try that conversational gambit. When, it's, it's an aggressive strategy. I feel like it's either going to go, you know, you're either going to be that like, that like kooky, kooky kid that everybody's like, wow, he's really deep. Or you're going to be like, man. Stay away from that fucking Keith weirdo. Keith is fucked up. <laughs> yeah, I feel like either way I win. Yeah, no, in, I, in I that like, context. I feel like you can win either scenario. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess I, I was taken, one of the things that I was taken by, and, and it's kind of, it's in the book, and I think he talked about it in the podcast, was sort of that sort of off-on structure that uh, a lot of the early Uncle Tupelo stuff has, especially yeah. the kind of the first album is sort of a, an homage to the Minutemen. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was interesting because he's like, yeah, we, we really liked the Ramones, but we knew we were never going to be the Ramones. Yeah. So, you know, we, but then we heard the Minutemen and we're like, well, maybe we can't, we're not going to sound exactly like them, but we can do this. Yeah. You know, we can record our own songs and drive around in a van. And yeah. it's, uh, so, I thought that was interesting. Uh, it's it's yeah, it's fascinating. It all you know. I, I was like, yes, we got that right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's got to feel good too if you're part of being Mike Watt has to be <laughs> feeling good just knowing that you inspired a ton of people to to you know do things themselves and you know take arms. Um, What's that line they always use about the Velvet Underground that like. Only a thousand people ever saw them perform live, but they all started bands. Yeah, exactly. So it's like it's uh, I don't know. It's just a. It, it's like if nothing else, I mean the the Minutemen had a, a much larger impact on on the music that I like than I than I realized before yeah. I started this process. Yeah, same, totally same. Um, I also thought it was interesting. I guess I picked this up more from the book than the interview, but uh. I never really put it together. So, okay. Before we started talking about the songs, I never realized how much the small town sucks, work sucks, let's drink Uncle Tupelo thing was really confined to the first two albums. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, like it's, it shows up on the other ones, but it, it's really like these two are where it's dominant. And I never put it together that that's really mostly Jay. Um, you know, like... It's almost entirely Farrar's songs that are doing that. I, I don't know. That's I, I think that's just. I think part of that is just that's what he's interested in. Is yeah. that sort of juxtaposition of of haves and have-nots in yeah. different. I mean, that's if you if you look at his body of work even now. Yeah, that's that's where his interests lie. I just think it's interesting that like. There's this, you know, that concept gets generalized out. At least I generalized it out, and I think a lot of people do. But, you know, like, if you actually start, like, looking at it in the finest grain, it's actually this really specific thing. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Tweet, I Tweety was pretty open. I don't know if I can't, and I honestly can't remember if this was in the podcast or in the book, but looking back on it now, he kind of views Uncle Tupelo as Jay's band. Yeah. And not, you know, I, I think... Most Uncle Tupelo fans view it as this sort of collaborative thing that split off into two totally different directions. Yeah. But I think he kind of views it as 
Jay was sort of the driving force in that in that band, and you know, it, it sucked when they broke up for him because he he felt like they were they were just on the cusp. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it, it, it's cool that he can look back at it now and say, oh, "I think it was actually better for me musically." To yeah. split up because I got to explore kind of what I want to do. Yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to write songs that Jay Farrar is is gonna is gonna be good at. But it is interesting too. This you know this idea that, or he said that like Uncle Tupelo with with Farrar leading it was really about like narrowing down. Like this is what we do. This is what we do. These are the tight limits we're gonna work around. And like his idea with Wilco is we're going to do whatever seems interesting and we're going to go and, you know, follow weird leads down. Uh, that would be, if you're inclined to do that, it seems like it would be really tough to be like in this, you know, narrowing of options situation. Yeah. I mean, I think either is, either is a valid choice. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, there are, maybe you look at like Steve Earl has been, is pretty consistent and like, this is what I do and I do it really well. Yeah. Uh, you know, his he's he's got that kind of tight focus, and then there are just other bands that are you know, kind of wildly oscillate as yeah. they as eras eras of time go well, by. Like I think about like the Flaming Lips. Um, you know, I there's kind of a lot going on with them, but I think one of the things that happened was they just I feel like they kind of crawled up their own asses, you know, chasing something weird. I don't know, sometime around 2010 and like just never came out. It, it is a bit pretentious to, to release four CDs that are supposed to be played on different devices oh, at the same time. But, but. Uh, but to me, that was from the, that's golden age stuff. That's pretentious, but that's awesome because it's at least fun and interesting. I don't know. They just, they, they could have used more focus, I think. Part of, part of it with the flaming lips is that, I mean, when you, when you release three epic albums back to back it's kind of the same thing with wilco like you it's just it's such a high bar it's impossible it's impossible to live up to i remember like when i very first started reading about music i i don't remember where i read this but somebody was talking about um they started out talking about the stones and how the stones had had this like epic run of three great albums starting with uh like exile beggar's banquet and uh let it bleed. I th- it bleed. I, I okay. think that was the stretch they were put talking s- about. Sticky fingers in there as well. Yeah, um, you know, but, but their idea, uh, the argument they were making was like stretches of three great albums are about as good as anyone can do, and maybe a fourth. And I remember like being really skeptical of that at the time, but like I kind of think that holds up. Like I can't think of, I can think of al- of bands that have had. A lot of great albums, but back to back to back, like three, you're doing really well. Yeah, I mean, if you if you have, I mean, really, if you have one kind of, you know, just sort of, I, I I'm going to use this pitchfork term, and I'm doing it begrudgingly, but if you have one essential album, like mm-hmm. as a band, you're doing pretty well. Yeah, and you think about like the the great artists in the in the American canon and the ones that have, I mean, there's some that have five or six and like, that's just amazing. Yeah. You look at like Bruce Springsteen has a number of really good albums that yeah. are, that are kind of in the canon. Bob Dylan. I mean, Bob Dylan has like 
12 of them, but yeah. that, that's, pro- that's probably an impossible bar. He's, he's in his own weird category. Well, Springsteen would be another example of a guy, too, who like seems to have worked out parameters of, like, this is what Bruce yeah. Springsteen is, and I'm just going to keep mining this seam as far as it'll take me. Yeah, it, and I don't know if you if you read this, but there was a an article about Springsteen in the uh, that was going across Twitter, just talking about how the struggles that he's had with depression and and just sort of self worth issues over the years. And you're like Bruce Springsteen, yeah, like <laughs> like really? I I just you just don't know what's what's going on in other people's heads. Yeah, so this is really far afield, but I, I I've been. I spent a lot of time in cars this week, so I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. Um, and there was this thing where um, this political commentator Chris Hayes was talking to Tanahisi Coates, and uh, you know, and I, I just I think Coates is like the best writer working in America now. Yeah. Um, I like Chris Hayes too. Yeah, he seems like a cool. Yeah. I don't know him that well, but from what I've seen, he seems cool. Yeah. Um, but there's this part where Coates. You know, apparently they recorded this conversation live in front of a big audience, and and Coates is just like, you know, I'm really glad you're all here to see me. I gotta say, I don't see it. I don't understand what you think is so great. I'm just, I'm just a guy writing what I think. The the response is like, well, you can't see it, and if you know, if, if it's you and you do see it, then you're gonna lose it. And you're gonna be a douche, yeah, right? Exactly. Like, that. Uh, that. You know, I think the fact that he can't see how how good he is 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 probably that's probably what makes him so good. Yeah, is that he's he's striving to be better. You gotta have that, or else you're gonna lose it all. Yeah, and Jeff Tweedy appears to not see it based on based on the book and the interview. Yeah, I think that's part of that is just be, and maybe this is just my Midwestern sensibility, but I mean, I think part of that is is not seeing it as part of being a, a pleasant person to be around. Yeah. Uh, I mean, otherwise, I mean, we all know people who are, who will tell you, who will tell you how awesome they are from the, from the jump. And they see a little bit more of it than is there. Right. Yeah. So that's, uh, I feel like, I feel like if you're going to err on one side, this is the side to err on. I think that is wise. Oh, with that in mind, should we get Yeah. Like actually talk about the album. Let's I do think it. That's good. Okay, so true to life. Um, like to point out, this fucking thing starts out with a harmonica being used as a sound effect. And before that, did you read the? Did you read this? This is Chad's installment of this week in the tablature. <laughs> the guy that wrote it wrote it from memory. I didn't see that. No. What a boss move. <laughs> like, look, I'm just gonna sit down and bang out this guitar tablature for true to life from memory. Okay, is it is it the tablature or the chords? If it's just the chords, that's you know like I it, it appears to just be the chords. But to me, that that's equally impossible. Yeah, you're right. Here it goes. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> okay, but is this a case of is it humble bragging to just include you know those words from memory didn't type themselves? <laughs> True. That's that's a good point. It does feel maybe a little a little self indulgent. Marcus Winfrey here had to had to let us know. I 
I guess I come I, I mean, yeah, maybe I'm falling for the humble brag, but I, I feel like that's pretty <laughs> impressive. I mean, I'm, I'm not a musician, so to me, the fact that someone can listen to something and tell you what key it's in is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe I'm, but, but, uh, but yeah, so I, in order to, in order to track down these, the tabs, I had to, I had to go to a couple different sites because apparently, uh, Ferrar has pulled all of his songs off of factory belt. Really? Yeah. So, uh, which is interesting, but one of the links on there is to the old postcard site. Okay. Which is, so I guess for a while they were doing a, a top 100 record of the year poll. Okay. What year do you think they stopped doing that? Uh, so this was internal to postcard yep. when they stopped. I'm 1996, 2013. Jesus Christ. Yes. 15 years after my last interaction with the postcard message group. How were their picks? Were their picks good? Well, they were kind of interesting. I mean, it's sort of an interesting uh, thing because it's like clearly some of the people are still like number one album of 2013, Jason Isbell. Okay. Which like, you know, it's it's kind of mining that similar vein. So like some people have clearly stayed to Cow Garage, which I'm not familiar with, uh, but sounds like a cowpunk outfit. No. Um, has so I, I feel like they've some people have sort of stayed in that vein, but then you've got number three, Super Chunk, okay, you know, Kurt Vile, the yeah. replacement song for Slim, uh, and then you know, like the National and other you know, sort of more popular music. So yeah. it's like I kind of wonder if it's like some of those people just stayed in that alt country universe and some of them kind of branched out but for whatever reason they all stayed on postcard which is kind of interesting <laughs> to me because it kind of awesome yeah uh, there's a lot to be said for community but uh so true to life yeah what uh what do you think well so, uh, yeah so true to life is interesting to me because it it uh it's a song that that sunvolt sometimes plays okay um and so if you go back to their the sunvolt austin city limits performance yeah They've got a version of True to Life that's really kind of banjo forward. So I, I I can't remember which Boquist brother it is, but one of them just lays down this like banjo part that okay. makes it really interesting. And so I, I wonder if, you know, this is just a, a credit to the internet, but if you Google Uncle Tupelo True to Life, you get an amazing amount of content. You get concerts from the Austin City Limits concert. You get an acoustic concert from Beloit College. Okay. You get Mississippi Nights. And you mm-hmm. get what looks like a pool hall in Kansas City in 1991. It's like really grainy video. Excellent. So it's it, it's kind of an interesting thing. You could, you know, if you, if you were so inclined, you could watch all of them and uh, create your favorite true-to-life moment. Compare and contrast. Yeah, so I mean, one of the one of the things that I think makes this song is just sort of the is the quintessential Ferrar like chorus where it's just like layers of depression. Yep. True to life, another hangover. True to life, more and more politics. True to life, always having to look over your shoulder. True to life, assembly line sickness. I think that's it's know. like it's like cards against humanity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Holy shit, that. You could do the J for R. J for R specific cards against humanity would be a very It'd be a dark game. Yes. It would be it's kinda like the so my wife Katie has this uh has this version of 
Cards Against Humanity that's all uh, passages from the book Moby Dick. Then it works really well. Yeah, it's fantastic. So I think this is this is going to be probably a smaller audience, but uh, the, the parties where the J for R Cards Against Humanity gets busted out is not going to be a fun party. Yeah, but it's I, I, I do kind of like that because you just you get that it's just like shitty thing, shitty thing, sh- really shitty thing, super shitty thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's ultimately I, th- I feel like this song is another like. Uncle Tupelo doing what they were good at in kind of, you know, they're doing it well, but they're doing it in the same well way that they have been for most of this album. And so it's just kind of unremarkable. And, you know, like Jay's lines are good like that, but they're good in the same way that they kind of are across the album. Yeah. I, so do you feel like, do you feel like this is a, I mean, this is a quintessential Uncle Tupelo song? I think this is another one. Yeah. I, I said this. I've said this, you know, as we move through Still Feel Gone, this is another one that's just like not like sterling, you know, not one of the like great, great songs, but like a very solid example of like, well, this is what they do. This is how they do it. This yeah, is- it's like a it's like a summary. Like, can I get yeah. an executive summary of Uncle Tupelo? And yeah. then you would just hand him this song. Exactly. I so looking at discogs.org, um I like that it's dot org too, course. by the way. <laughs> by the way. <laughs> They're not out to turn a profit. <laughs> I uh I was surprised to see that Brian Henneman is credited as playing acoustic on this. Um, I think that's the first time he appears on Uncle Tupelo. Um, this is like another, you know, as with uh, Gary Loris on this album. They're, you know, they've got this like just ass kicker lead player coming off the bench to get buried in the mix and do nothing. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting strategy. Wasn't uh, wasn't Henneman like Henneman their uh, guitar tech for a while? I think so, yeah. yeah. And like there, there's a stretch right towards the end of the song where like you can hear him you can hear him kind of shredding on the acoustic but it's, you know, just in between other parts and like it's I, it's deep in the mix and I had never heard it until a few days ago after like decades of listening to the album. Um, I wonder if he was pissed when he heard the mix. <laughs> hey, Bri, throw down a throw down a part here and then Here's the album. He's like, "Well, oh, fuck you." I doubt it, though. He's. Uh, do you remember that? So this is kind of behind the curtain, but uh, do you remember that? Uh, I can't remember if it was a Jay Farrar Subalt show that we went to where Brian Henneman opened. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, and like Brian Henneman was awesome, and yeah. like you know, I'm sure Jay Farrar was good, but he was you know, Jay Farrar is not a particularly charismatic guy. Yeah. And so, and I remember at the end, Brian Henneman saying. Oh, this is my neighbors help a neighbor show because Jay and I live just a couple blocks from each other in St. Louis. So it's it's interesting to me that that there are people, um, Brian Henneman and Mike Heidorn, who sort of stayed with uh, Jay Farrar after the after yeah. the. I guess they had to re recruit. He had to re recruit uh, Heidorn, but yeah. you know it's. Uh, I don't know. It's just an interesting, interesting thing. He can't be as dour in real life. Right. Appears yeah. In recording. Yeah. This is a. Uh, just looking at my notes here. So I, this is another song that Hydorn countrifies with his boom chicka boom beat. Uh, you know, I'm just I'm always trying to figure out what is it that makes us code these as country. And I think it's the drums and and Ferrar's voice. I don't know. I mean, like to me, the thing about Still Feel Gone is like it has a handful of great songs that, you know, make it like one you can't miss if you're a fan of Uncle Tupelo. But there are a lot of songs like this one that I think, you know, like they're not 
terrible. They're not bad, but they 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 just take up space. And even when I was a super fan, I think like the back half of Still Feel Gone was my least favorite part of the catalog. Yeah, I mean, I, to me, it's it, it's you know, it's kind of like having a time machine. You get to kind of see what what both these artists became. Yeah, and you can kind of look for clues as to as to where their leanings were. And I think totally. this does a good job of of kind of just in that chorus of, of sort of showing what Jay Farrar is, what Jay Farrar is going to be focusing on. Yeah. Uh, should we, we call we, it for we, this we, one? We've got canine issues. So. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back. All right, we are back with Cold Shoulder. Uh, just going to put this out here now to listeners. You are going to hear dog noises in the <laughs> background. Uh, Theo the dog is awake and present. Unfortunately, both of our recording locations, Keith's house and my house, have uh, hounds. Yeah. So they're, they, uh, they sometimes make an appearance. They like to make themselves known. But uh, Cold Shoulder, I, I hate to continue with negativity, but... How dare you? I know. Uh, I've never liked the intro to this song. It's, that surprises me as a former bass player. Like, I mean, you're never going to get a more bass heavy mix than this song. <laughs> yeah. That, and that's kind of, that's part of, so here's the thing. It's like specifically the mix that bugs me. Like I get what they're trying to do. You know, they want to make it, they want to do a big dynamics thing and they want to make the, you know, start out quiet. And, but like, it just sounds, it's so pushed down that it, it sounds like somebody made a mistake and like you know, the bass is up front but it's not doing a ton you know it's just boom, doom, 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 doom. and i don't know it I, it's a it, it's a curious choice because you have like in the background and i can't tell i know gary lewis does play guitar on this but there's this like faint country guitar which no. might maybe is a pedal steel i can't tell but it's like it's really cool. It's just yeah. really faint. Yeah, like, everything it's hard is to, just mixed down. It, it's but you can kind of see that, like you know, if you look at the like, it, it reminds me a little bit of just in composition of of that uh, that song on A Ghost Is Born, Spiders Kid Smoke. Yeah, where it like it kind of deconstructs itself and then comes back. Yeah. So I mean, maybe and maybe this is just me looking for examples of this, but. It seems like you're, maybe what you're seeing is like, you know, kind of this is what this is what they're starting to play around yeah. with. Is this sort of? I think you're totally right. I think uh, I had kind of I, I didn't connect to that song, but I had a similar thought that like to me this song feels like Tweety trying consciously trying to do something different from the rest of the album, uh, but he's not he's not there yet. Uh, you know, so he's like. I, he can't get the pieces to put together and you get this song that just sounds a little you know it's a little half-baked it made me a little muddled too like it just yeah. is, it's just a weird it's a weird recording um it, just to compare and contrast uh true to life if you google cold shoulder you do not get as many <laughs> responses I don't, uh, I don't know that this one has as many strong partisans the weird thing that you do get though is it seems like there's there's like a lot of links to what look like static shots of the album with the song playing in the background. And I'm like, this is what I'm trying to figure out. If you're person X plus one, who's doing this, 
Why are you doing it? Uh, that question applies to so many things on the internet. Which is like, like oh yeah, the last guy that it's it's like the uh, from the <laughs> jerk. Like this guy ran the old cup of pizza guy out of business. <laughs> I'm the king of static shot YouTube videos. It's just a. Uh, there's also a bunch of links to just like random dudes playing like their acoustic versions of Uncle Tupelo songs, yeah. which I also don't get. I, I slightly do. I mean, like, I, I feel like that's another fail failure mode you want to avoid. Like, I have it in me to be that guy, and I have to push against it. You know, like you know how to play the song. You're excited to play the song. Uh, you've got. You know, your phone has a camera and a microphone. Like, there's nothing but your own taste stopping you from being that guy. And yeah, I guess maybe maybe Google is who I should be pissed at because like <laughs> like their algorithm should know that I hate that stuff, right? Like, <laughs> like they're the ones that should be. This it's really on their end. Yeah, big data hasn't figured out your preferences yet. Yeah, well, I, that I don't blame them on that because I. I run a little bit fickle. Sorry, that was nah. rant over. I, no, it was a very apro- apropos rant. Um, so we talked, you know, we talked a bunch earlier about Uncle Tupelo and Jeff Tweedy and uh, and Mike Watt and the Minutemen. I feel like that bass part that's way up front here is as like directly Mike Watty as Jeff Tweedy ever gets on a bass like this. Honestly, this song sounds like more than usual. This sounds like D Boone could step in and play guitar, and like this would be a Minutemen song. Yeah, and at this point, I mean, if he was still alive, I'd be all for that. I feel like that would be an improvement. Yeah, this is this weird thing where like it, it sounds like Che Ferrar is just on a leash in this song, and like you you don't put Che Ferrar on a leash. Yeah, nobody puts Che Ferrar in a corner. <laughs> he scowls at you. Uh, yeah, I wonder what I wonder if this is like because there's there's a couple weird examples that and I I guess we'll probably talk about this next time. But the last song in the album is essentially just a Jeff Tweedy solo song. Yeah. So I, I'm curious if they needed they just needed more material or if they were if there was some tension where where they're like okay you know like. You get your songs, I get my songs. I, yeah, I wonder. I mean, like, I know... I, I remember reading with Un- with Husker Du that that was a very conscious thing, that they would, like, almost have formal negotiations. <laughs> you know, Bob gets this many, Grant gets this many. Bob's always has to be at least Grant plus one. Um, I don't know if that dynamic formally existed here, but it kind of feels like it. Yeah, and this is off topic but uh at one of the other things you get in the google search is a bunch of links to that uh that husker do video it makes no sense at all where yeah. they're just essentially driving around minneapolis yeah. welcome to minneapolis <laughs> i love that yeah i like it too i just i every time i see that video i i just like greg norton's mustache game is on point it is like that he's the king of the 80s mustache I, that guy is like I mean, it's like Freddie Mercury passed the <laughs> passed the mustache, bestowed him this mustache. <laughs> like, Here you go, my child. Go with God. Take this and do well. Um, hopping back to this one. So, like, I mean, it's weird to me. One of the ways that, I guess, kind of prefigures some Wilco songs, but it isn't there yet. You know, it just... 
I think your heaven looks just like my hell. Is It's a good line. That, that's a, a good concept. Uh, it, it is kind of like sensitive young man-y, but he was a sensitive young man, so that's okay. Uh, then the, the repetition just kind of robs it of something vital, I think. And I don't know. It, it really, like, uh, the book kind of shows Tweedy as this, you know, sensitive young man trying to figure out the world. And so this song is true to that but you know in the end like it it feels like one more song about a young man being kind of woe is me about a girl and sometimes you get train in vain out of that but most of the time you get something pretty meh and less than train in vain yeah train in vain is pretty high bar yeah but, that's, um, <laughs> that's uh that, that's probably for another day um yeah i think sometimes you just you get Maybe you get a little more value if you don't if you don't hit the line every time. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, I think about it. Some of my favorite lines are in music or only are only in the song once. Yeah, and like I think that's that's maybe the maybe it's just you just get tired of it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, you kind of wear out the specialness. I'm wrestling with your dog under the table. That's why my <laughs> face looks like this. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, do you have anything else to say about this one? I I, I hate to cut it short, but yeah, I don't want to just like really. against yeah. it. And, uh, well, let's take a dog wrestling break. And, whoa, and come back. We are back. Um, the The noise there was not catastrophic. We did have to bend some adapters back, but uh, everyone's here. We're ready to talk <laughs> about discarded. Discarded. <laughs> totally on focus. Yeah. Um, okay. So, good intro on this song. Yeah. the The reign of negativity has ended. I like the way this song comes in. The banjo gives it some zip. Yeah. Did, so I feel like I do this all the time, but did did you read the did you read the tab notes? On I this didn't. One? I didn't. Let me let me fire these up. What? Uh, so what let, let me just read this verbatim and just if, see if it's me just being a dick. But it says that after the tab notes, it says, "Well, it says it my most extreme pleasure <laughs> to present the final piece needed to complete the Uncle Tupelo tablature archive." I think I think this really says a lot about the quality of the group. No other group I can think of has four plus albums all completely tabbed on the web. The people who have discovered Uncle Tupelo realize the rarity of the rarity of the beauty in their songwriting. And then this is the part. I mean, that's kind of dumb, but this is this is the part that that kind of got me. It says this devotion proves it. Jay and Jeff would be proud. Do they ever visit? <laughs> Why the fuck would they? Why would they visit a site that has the tablature of the songs that they wrote? Okay, <laughs> I agree with that. But in that uh, in that interview with Marin, Tweedy did say offhand that he sometimes just looks up Wilco lyrics online because there aren't. You know, he was just saying syllables, and he wants to see what words. This is true. Did. This is true. He did say so, that that his. That some, <laughs> and this in typical Jeff Tweedy fashion, he's like, yeah, sometimes I just sing those words. 
<laughs> so hard as it is to believe, I guess we do have a counterexample. That's true. That That's true. Have. He's 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 totally. I just, I don't know. I I guess I would. I'd be a little disappointed if they did visit the site yeah. that <laughs> that is yeah. dedicated to like. So I feel like nothing good can come of that. Like no. you're 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 in like Scott Adams territory yes. where you're like. You're like you're like creating a fake identity to argue with people about how awesome you are. You would only be going to like look for like I need I need to find my psychophants. What right. do my psychophants have to say? Or people like or people I can argue with. Yeah. Neither way. Uh, no good reflection. Is no, I don't. I don't, I don't think it works well either way. But I, I digress. I just thought that was kind of a weird thing to. No. Well, and I think the other thing, like I think Dave Shapiro at future.uswc.uswest.com is putting his do they ever visit in there. Honestly, like you know he's laying that down, hoping <laughs> to get true. like the all lowercase response from Jay Farrar, just like, yeah, bro, and great, you're great. Great job, Dave. Great job. I mean, I'll give that to you. Like, I, thanks for putting that out there. Yeah. I mean, I'm not Jay Farrar, but... but uh, yeah, no, like I, he's got Dobro tabs here. I couldn't do yeah, Dobro I, tabs. I don't think I could identify a Dobro in a police lineup. <laughs> but, uh they're kind of cool. They're like guitars with the steel plate in the middle. It's like a resonator guitar? Yep. It's, yeah. This Do- Dobro must be a brand name? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yep. We're um, back to the wrestling. <laughs> the dog who will not say no. The dog who will not be discarded. Nice. nice um, well played, sir. That's right. So, yeah, I, you know, like this song... I guess after the last one that was maybe a failed experiment, I feel like the up-tempo and the big drums and the kind of return to the stop-start, you know, like, it's this weird thing because I complain about everything being samey, but I get a little relief of the return to sameness here after the maybe failed experiment of Cold Shoulder. Yeah, and I like the, I mean, I think the line, discarded, recycled, and new is kind of, it's kind of a good line. Like, yeah. that's a that's a good one. It's funny to me, uh, one thing that really jumps out to me, like, I, you know, I've been listening to this for decades. I, I don't spend a ton of time thinking about the names of songs, but I had basically zero consciousness that the name of this song was discarded. Like, to me, like, I always thought of it as uh, Lost in the Shuffle or... Maybe it was called So Goddamned Hard to Make It Work. Um, you know, like, discarded just... Even though it's a good line, like, that was... That may be a function of, like, of too many bootlegs where they just kind of guess on the names of the songs. Yeah, I think so. That's kind of an interesting thing. Like, I was thinking about that earlier. The whole bootlegging names thing. And, you know, like, a lot of times they'll name an album after... You know, a bootlegged album will just get named after a song... And that kind of gives you this like accidental taxonomy of what sticks out and what doesn't. Because I got that. I got a Uncle Tupelo bootleg and it had their cover of Effigy. Yeah. And the title that they gave it was Who is Burning? Question <laughs> mark. <laughs> nice. Which I'm not even sure is in the song. I think it, it's Who Are We Burning? Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. But it was clearly, it was somebody just like, okay. Oh. <laughs> Gotta call it something. Get us out to market. <laughs> hey, this has very little to do with that. But one thing I always loved about the old bootleg scene was it seemed like a lot of them, for some reason, came out of Italy. And a lot of the jacket copy was written by people where, you know, English was their second language. And so you'd get these weird, just awesome idioms. And 
I remember this one where they were talking about a show that in- included some some new stuff and some old battle horses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I- I- I've heard like old war horse as like an idiom for like an old song, but old battle horses is so much better. Yeah, it is. Old war horse is kind of weird though, right? It is, like, yeah. So, uh, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I feel like the, I feel like just we could probably do a whole show on the whole bootleg market, but. It is, I, that, that I, if you want to talk about like things that we've lost, like, I mean, it's great now that you can get 50 live versions of any song, but. I don't know. It was a cool thing to have to like fight to get a bootleg and like it's like this treasure that you've got and like Yeah, and there was sort of a I don't know, it was kind of a I mean competition's probably too strong a word, but there was sort of this like and actually in the in the book and in the inter, in the WTF podcast, uh Tweety kind of talks about this how like you know, you didn't want to have the same album as your friends because there's yeah. a limited amount, you know, everyone had a limited amount of money and it yeah. was just considered a, a waste to have the same. But it was kind of like that for bootlegs, right? Like yeah. you, you had, you know, so one of your friends had this cool bootleg and like the only acceptable way for you to consume that was to first to make it into a tape and then yeah. later to burn it onto a, uh, recordable CD. I had this situation with our friend Grant where, um, <laughs> you know, Octung Baby came out and, uh, you know, a- a- at the time that was like the cool out there, like, whoa. So, you know, it was this race to who could get a bootleg of the live shows. And uh, Grant got a bootleg of the first show in America where they, you know, where they were performing Octung Baby. And he he had this like power play with it where, you know, like he would play it for you if you went to his house, but he wouldn't <laughs> give anyone a copy of it. Um, you know, and like, uh, you know, it was like this scarce resource that he was hoarding. Um, and then I went to Omaha and got a different bootleg of the same show that had better sound quality. Oh. <laughs> like, it's just such a stupid thing. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, okay, we got some dog action going on here, but I think we can keep going. It appears he's cleared the he's cleared the the scene. Yeah, so. I don't know bootlegs. I I believe the last bootleg I ever bought was a bootleg of the last Uncle Tupelo show. Weirdly. Yeah, and I think I, I don't have any sound. Okay, hang on a second. You got any now? Yeah. Okay. So I think it, that was it. That Mississippi Nights. It is, yeah. Um, so I don't know if you remember this or not, but this is sort of a, a corollary for the the Grant thing. But I had a bootleg of that that was like clearly somebody made a recording <laughs> of the bootleg that you had because it was like it was like color photocopied, like the jacket, and uh, and I remember you showing it to me, and I'm I just remember being crushed. I'm like. What the hell is this? Like, like there's actually a professional version of this. Like it had, it, it had a proper jacket. It had, you know, it didn't. It didn't look like it was made in somebody's garage. So this this circles back to your thing about, you know, who would be guy number three to upload the, <laughs> that phenomenon has been with us forever. I guess. Well, so 
I mean, part of it is just like, like, I f- you feel kind of stupid. Like, I bought the product from guy number X plus one, right? Like, yeah. Like, had I known that the product was available from guy from the, you know, like the the actual version was available, I totally would have bought that instead. But like, I, I just I felt like I'd been rooked. Like, I don't know. Past is another country. Yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I, I do think though you see some of that with uh, vinyl these days. Where, yeah, where there's like, there's like a vinyl bootleg. I know this because I bought a, a David Bowie uh, vinyl uh, recording when I was in Boston. Okay, and it's not good. I'm not gonna lie to you. Like, <laughs> like I got really excited about it. Like, I'm like, ooh, Ziggy Stardust BBC sessions. Yeah, no good. Well, the sound quality is just pretty poor. Yeah. So maybe if you're looking to get back into bootlegs, you've got to start rearming your vinyl collection. I, you know, so here's the thing I was thinking about today. Like I, I've, I've resisted getting back into vinyl, even though like I, I want to really badly, but like I just, I can't find a reason to pull the trigger. So I feel like the best argument I can think of for getting back into vinyl would be that uh, this idea of having like a stack of physical things that you can look at to prod you to listen to something else. Cause like, Spotify, you can, you know, since everything possible is available, that yeah. actually like, makes it harder to, to branch out because, like, you just, every time you sit down, it's choice paralysis. And I, I don't know, it's easier to have, you know, if you've got 50 records and a bunch of them are just weird things you happen to get randomly because you found them, then you're going to listen to those weird random things way more often than you would ever, than it would ever occur to you to be like, hey, I'm going to, to see what Spotify's got for like Bo Diddley's early years, you know, and they have it, but you just never think to to listen to it. Yeah, I guess what I like I like about it is the the physical aspect as well as the fact that it it sort of forces me to listen to the deep tracks. Yeah. So, you know, like it forces me to consume it as an album. Yeah. Um, and maybe they don't even make albums like that anymore, but yeah. but you know, for a while they were. They were designed to be consumed as thing as whole things and not yeah. as individual vignettes. I feel like I, I feel like like I, feel, I think Spoon and Saint Vincent would be people who are still like making albums or even like Janelle Monet, like that her last album is clearly a thing that but yeah, I mean I think like I know those because I've been thinking like, well who the hell is still doing that? Because right. most people aren't. Yeah. And, well, I mean, that's yeah. not that's not really the market anymore. It's yeah. it's you know individual songs and and electronic distribution. Yeah. But I mean, the thing the the other thing I like is that now when you buy a, a new record, they give you the code for the digital download. Yeah. So like you you kind of get best of both worlds. Yeah, that is pretty. I guess awesome. if you have Spotify, it doesn't really matter, but I, but it kind of does because people's licensing. You know, some people are on, some people aren't. Sometimes, like, individual songs aren't, which is a pain in the ass. But, so getting back to Discarded, um, I don't know, like, this is, if if we've had a bunch on the show, you know, in this stretch of the show of, like, B-grade Uncle Tupelo songs, I feel like this is one of them, but it's like a cut above, it's like a B-plus. Yeah. Maybe, right. you know, it's not gun, but it's pretty good. I think... Again, Gun's pretty high bar. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a good it's a good song. It I think what I think for me what makes the backside of this album sort of they they all kind of blend together a little bit. Yeah, exactly. 
To me, this, <laughs> the back half of this album to me is sitting in my old Ford Escort, like kind of waiting for the tape to run out so that I can move on to the next album, which I, you know, which is a weird thing because like I used to feel like, well, you have to listen to the whole album. You know, you owe it to the album to listen through the parts you don't like as much. Yeah, I think I feel like you could do both. Like I like the experience of listening because sometimes I pick up things that, yeah, that you know, like if so, if I'm sitting in sp- with Spotify, like I'm probably skipping through a lot of songs on on Still Feel Gone. Yeah, and so I, I I do like the I do like the idea of sitting down and listening to the whole album because sometimes you pick out things, but I think totally. sometimes you just want to hear the songs that you like too. Yeah. Remember that deal, this is way far afield, but remember like right on the cusp of when the way people got albums was changing, when the Beastie Boys had that deal where you could go to their website and like make your own Beastie yeah. Boys. Uh, that was such a forward thinking thing. It's like I, so if you don't remember this, it was in 2000, 2001, yeah, somewhere around there. You could like go to the Beastie Boys website and just program your own Beastie Boys like mini box set. I think it was two discs they'd give you. It was right after Hello Nasty came out, I think. Yeah. And then they would mail it to you with cover art and a track listing and such a cool Yeah, great idea. You know, like like I, totally obsolete now, but I don't know why I remember this, but I remember you tried to name yours like something like fucking beastie boys hell yeah that and, was it and they uh because <laughs> they let you choose the name too yeah and it came back and it was like star 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 beastie boys hell yeah so i mean i never thought about this until you said this but i guess i can actually there can't be that many other people can, that can make this claim but i have been censored by the beastie boys right. <laughs> that's that's how hardcore i am that's right <laughs> too raw for the beastie boys <laughs> shit that's going on my head yeah no, should be in your cv <laughs> the very least that's gonna that's gonna be the new intro text on my linkedin page it's fantastic <laughs> oh man <laughs> so I, I i feel like this is a case where there's not that much to say about the song, and so we keep end up talking about other things. Yeah, um, you know, it is what it is. I, one thing that jumped out at me chronologically and avoiding B sides, it hit me. This is the last time that Mike Hydorn gets to just kick ass rocking out on an Uncle Tupelo album. Yeah, they kind of put him. They put him on the shelf for the next album, and yeah, uh, and do you think? He left the band after that. So uh, this is it. This is the swan song. This is, yeah. No, it's. Uh, I don't know. I I, I, I do, and I, I I've said this before, but I I think he would be an interesting guy to talk to. Hell like, yeah. Like I think his perspective would be really interesting. Well, it's this weird thing because like I feel like it's pretty easy to. It was always easy to construct a Jeff Tweedy from from you know the musical record, and then like this book comes out, and you find out how accurate that was. And, you know, like, I I feel like it was pretty... If you were picking up what he was laying down in the music, you got, like, a fairly solid representation of the person. You can kind of construct A.J. Farrar from the musical record. And, you know, he's more guarded, but you still, like, you know some things. 
I don't know what the, like Mike Hydorn, you're working on like a set of liner notes he wrote for no depression. Right. That's yeah. it. It's, it's sort of an enigma. Yeah. I don't know if Mike Hydorn ever wants to appear on the show so we can just ask him some questions. Yeah. Q and a, he's welcome. Uh, <laughs> I, I I guess I just pulled the uh, the tablature guy's point of view or his maneuver. Yeah, you, you dropped the subtle the subtle <laughs> bait in the water. <laughs> Does he listen? Um, I don't know. Like I, I, I guess my fear would be, it would be that you know someone he would he is listening. He's like these guys are idiots. Fuck these guys! <laughs> Jesus Christ! I, I don't know. That'd be kind of awesome though. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Feed, feedback is good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, have you got anything else to no, say on no, Discarded? That's, that's all I've got. Let's, uh, let's wrap her up here. Sounds good. Oh, thank you for uh, listening, uh, putting up with our levels of hardcoreness that are too much for the Beastie Boys. Uh, I'm Keith. You can find me on Twitter at Keith Pilly. Um, and I'm Chad Cook. You can find me on Twitter at, at Cook6252. We, uh, as always, we really would love to hear from you if you've listened to the show and have anything you liked or didn't like or, I don't know, hate dogs and whatever. Yeah, record recommendations. Yeah, yeah actually, whatever. P- please let us know about some records. Um, also, if you dug the show, please tell people about it. Uh, go to iTunes, Google Play, leave a review. And uh, thanks. We will talk to you again soon. Yeah.